and hiding from King Saul. Now, he goes to, David does, David goes to Achish, a Philistine king, in Gath, in uh, uh, 1 Samuel 21, and he tries to live among them and even fight for him. This is a very strange thing for the enemies of God and Jehovah and of Israel. David is not among them. He's got 600 men with him. And eventually they leave um, Achish, uh, the king, and then they go back to Israel, back to Judah, Judea, and he is now in a cave. The cave is big enough to have over 600 of his men with him. And so he's in this cave. I, I don't want to call him his merry men, his band of merry men, because they were not so merry, these men. They were kind of out and out and uh, downtrodden people. These men were 600 of them. Now, when he says verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 3, this is all a song that he wrote in the cave of Adullam. He wrote this song. He got his guitar, ukulele, or his harp, and he began to strum it. And, some, and somehow words came to his mind, and a tune came to his mind. And he's playing this song for his men. And it says in his first three verses, he says in his first three verses something pretty amazing because he does not know his future. David does not know what is in store for him. He's in waiting, he's in hiding, he's the rightful king, but he doesn't know when he will be on the throne. And he is running from the king who is after this innocent, young, brave man who stood up for God's name. Now he says in verse number one, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. He writes these lyrics. He sings the songs, not knowing what his future is. It's very unknown to him. Now there's another man in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, whose future is very unknown. I'll give you some hints. Let's see if you can figure out who this man was. He had many sons. He had a son in which he get the coat of many colors. This father thinks that his son Joseph has been killed. That's what his brothers reported. They brought back the coat of many colors with blood all over it. And apparently their scheme was to get their dad to believe that a wild animal had killed Joseph. He's much grieved, he's grieving still. Now, there's a famine in the land. They are forced to come into Egypt to get some food. They bring their money, but the boys go in. And in Genesis 42, you remember that uh, there's a recognition of the boys on Joseph's part, but they don't recognize him. He looks like an Egyptian. Years have passed. And the boys, they have a certain tone about them, a certain accent. And when they come to him to buy food, to buy grain, Joseph recognizes them, and he's going to teach them a lesson. Not in a vindictive lesson, but to get them to see what they had done. Not because he hates them, but because there's a lesson to be learned. And so uh, Jacob thinks that he has lost... Well, let's get, look at Genesis 42. I don't want to misquote this verse. Genesis 42... Jacob thinks he's lost Joseph. Now he will lose another son. And he can't take it if that happens. Genesis chapter 42 and verse number 36. Look at the words that Jacob says. Genesis 42 and verse number 36. We'll have to back up 
as the boys explain themselves to Joseph. Again, not knowing that he is Joseph. Verse number 30. Uh, they are reporting now to Jacob, the man who is the Lord of the land. Joseph spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, we are true, true men. We are no spies. We be 12 brethren, son of our father. One is not, one is not is Joseph. Not knowing they're talking to Joseph. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan, Benjamin. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that ye are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, and take food for the famine of your households, and be gone, and bring your youngest brother unto me. Oh no! Then shall I know that ye are no spies. I'll know that your story is not a made-up story. I'll know that you are not after monkey business. I know that you're not here for bad reasons, but you are telling me the truth. And then shall I know that you are no spies, but that ye are true men, so that I will deliver you your brother. I'm going to hold him until you come back. And ye shall traffic in the land. And it came to pass as they emptied their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundle of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not. And ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. I hope you understand the picture here and the grief that Jacob is now feeling about the possibility of losing Simeon, who is back in Egypt as ransom. And now they have to bring Benjamin. There's a possibility Benjamin may not survive. Who knows what the this rich this this authority figure man will do? And so he says these words. All these things are against me. His future, Jacob thinks his future is is gonna be bad. All he can see is trouble, losing two more sons. His future to him was very bleak. David says something quite different. He says, I'll bless the Lord at all times, but I don't know my future. I do not know what the future holds. It may be, as the song says, trusting Jesus. It may be something like uh, a clear day. It may be, the path may be drear. He doesn't know it may, if it's in danger for him called trusting Jesus. That, and so that is his attitude. Whatever happens, I will still bless the Lord at all times. Notice that he says, I'll bless the Lord at all times, which is to say, in whatever circumstance. And then it says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. He has made up his mind. David has made up his mind that he will continue to trust God with his life. David has not always been consistent. But here in the cave, as he drafts this song, as it comes to his heart, as he plays a tune to fit the words, uh, he is saying, I will bless God at all times and I will praise him at all times. I will continue to praise him with my mouth. I will let it be known that I am trusting him. And so this is his attitude in the cave of Adullam. And he is just thoroughly, thoroughly convinced this is his attitude for his future. Whatever happens, good or bad, he says, I will continually praise the Lord, which is a good thing for any Christian in any time to really, really think about. Because nobody knows the future, and yet, David, like David, who does not know his future, he is resolved. He is resolved. His mind is made up. Um, little 
little grandson was singing on the pot. Ethan was on the pot, being potty trained, and he was singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. He sang it over and over again, a little bit off key, but still, really, he's singing that song. He really does mean it, I think. And he is resolved to follow Jesus, not really knowing what all that is involved. But David knew what was involved. And he's saying, I'm resolved to follow Jesus, although he didn't know Jesus. I'm resolved to follow the Lord, whatever happens in the future. If it's good, I will bless his name. If it's not so good, I will still bless his name. You realize that is true Christianity. That is real faith and trust in the Lord. We want to be careful not to bless his name when things are good. And then not bless his name when things are not so good. He says, at all times and continually, with his mouth, he'll bless the Lord. Surprises, shocks, disappointments, glorious things happen. In whatever the case, he will bless the Lord at all times. Continue. By faith, he would do that because he knows one thing. God is good and God will be good to his people and to his children. He's just resolved. And so uh, verse number two, again, it says, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. If David only looked at his circumstances through the eyes of the flesh or through the eyes of uh, just his physical eyes with his vision, he may not be able to say anything good about his future. But because he's looking at his situation with not just the glasses of his carnal nature, but through the glasses of faith, he could actually trust God in spite of the circumstances. Now, remember Proverbs chapter 3 says this, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and lean not unto thine own understanding. David could easily lean unto his own understanding in his, if you put on glasses as his vision, as his sight of just a natural man, he would see nothing good is going to come to him in the future. But with the glasses, the spectacles, looking at it through faith and trusting God, he can say, whatever happens, I will continually praise the Lord with my mouth. And so that's a good attitude that he has. Now look at verse number three. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us. Now who would the us be? The us would be the other 600 gathering of men that's with him. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Uh, he's quite enthusiastic, looks like. And his enthusiasm, not just a emotional making a noise, that kind of ball game kind of enthusiasm, although it seems to be that. But he is enthusiastic about his trust in God, and he wants his other men also to feel the same. He's trying to influence them to put their trust in God also. Now, we would say that, and I would say, not all of them believed in God, and yet David was just trying to encourage the men with him who are loyal to him to also have trust in the Lord too. And so he's quite enthusiastic you know that his zeal probably rubbed off on them as he would for anyone even to today. Now in verses 15 through 18, look at verses 15 through 18. The same chapter, verses 15 through 18. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears, his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. 17. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their trouble. Verse 18. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart, 
and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Now, what do you learn from verses 15 through 18 about what God is like? It says in verse number 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Now, when you read those verses, does that say that God has ears? Does it say that he has eyes? Does it say that he has a face? Well, yes, it does. But does it mean that God has a body like a man with ears, eyes, and a face? It doesn't mean that, but that's what it says. Now, here's what you learn. The Bible uses words and words to describe what God is like so that a man can understand what God is like. So a man has ears, so a man can hear. A man has eyes, so a man can see. A man has a face. Well, that's what a man is normally. Now, God does not have a face, does not have a human body, a body like a man. But he has given the description of having ears, having eyes, and having a face. So that man who has those things, eyes, ears, and a face, can understand that God understands what man goes through. Those are called, here's a big long word, starts with an A. Anthro, as in anthropology, study of man, anthropomorphic expressions. Those, those words that describe God are expressions to help the reader, human readers, as far as I can know, only humans can read. Monkeys cannot read. People try to make monkeys like humans, you know. There's a, a picture of a monkey standing upright, walking around for more than 30 seconds. There's big news about that. Oh, look, you see, he's walking erect like a man. No, wait a minute. That's just a monkey standing up straight. You know, bears can stand up straight too. They do, and they can reach up, and they're dangerous critters, creatures. Well, there's nothing to that except that's what they can do. Now, only man can read, and God is saying here, the psalmist David is saying that man, that God has eyes, he has ears, he's got a face, so he can answer prayer. The possibility of God answering prayer is very strong because of what the Bible says here, what David is writing. And so these are important verses to remember that God can answer prayers. And that is not strange to him because he can hear the prayers of his children, he can see their condition, and he can face them and act. So even though sometimes independent Baptists, we sometimes say, well, you know, sometimes we have hardships in life and God doesn't always answer our prayers. Well, that is true. But it isn't also true that sometimes God does answer prayers and God does sometimes surprise and do something spectacular and, and then we bless the Lord and we praise and magnify him. He does that too. So we've got to have a balance about everything and not just say doctrinally that God may not answer all our prayers, but factually and practically, He does. And so that's some scripture that proves that He does. Now, come down to verse number 4. Or back up to verse number 4. Back up to verse number 4, Psalm 34, verse number 4. I sought the Lord, and He heard me, because He has ears. I hope you understand what He's saying here. I sought the Lord, and He heard me and deliver me from all my fears. Now look at verse number 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Look at verse 20. He keepeth all his bones, and one of them, and not one of them is broken. Now, verse 20 is about the Messiah to come, which this is in prophecy. 
you have a messianic statement here about Jesus Christ to come when he was crucified, didn't break his bones. So that's a prophetic verse about the crucifixion of Christ. You have this sprinkled throughout the Psalms, and uh, the Psalms, Psalms are talking about David's particular situation, a rather particular condition, but then it just kind of shoots into the future and talks about something all of a sudden like about Jesus Christ. And that's the verse number uh, the 20 is about, and not one of them is broken. And what you want to learn here about uh, these four verses, verse number 4, 19, and 20, is that the Lord can deliver. He can deliver. David said, he delivered me from my fear. Isn't it interesting? He was afraid of several people. David was afraid of Saul. He was afraid that he might hurt the Lord's anointing. He didn't want to ever do that. But he was also afraid that Saul might catch up to him and actually execute him, kill him, murder him even. And so he was afraid. And yet, you remember, David was brave and without fear in another time. Here's a man who was without fear when he faced a giant. And yet, he's afraid of a man who was also pretty tall. Saul was, but he wasn't as tall as 10 feet like Goliath was. And so it's a funny thing to me that a brave young man like David could also be afraid of another man. This is how human nature is. One day you have, you're full of faith, the next day you have no faith. One day you have the courage to move mountains and the faith to move mountains and the courage to face the den of lions. The next day you're under a juniper tree, hiding and dis discouraged and depressed. That's the way that human nature is for Christians even. So you don't want to hold it against a Christian because he seems to be so brave and so bold and so uh, in his qualities we admire it so much and then he has bouts of depression. You know Charles Spurgeon was like that. The great Charles Spurgeon had periods when he was very depressed after he preached and he had days when he just wanted to be alone. Nobody could console him because he was so down, so depressed, but he was a great preacher, great man in many ways. And so then you have Elijah the prophet. He was like that too. When under a juniper tree, after the great victory, I guess the Baal priests, over 800 of them, and yet he, had, he ran and hid from Jezebel. Imagine that, facing all of these mean-looking Baal-like priests, and yet when Jezebel found out that she was going to go after him, he ran and hid. Isn't that funny how human nature is, even those who believe in the Lord? And so you find that David is going to be delivered from his fears, from his fears. And so he is scared. Yet, the Lord is with him and delivered him from that. He says he is poor and needy. Um, it seems like when people feel like that, they get humbled. It's like that's when the Lord seems to be more close to them, when they don't depend on themselves all the time. Now, again, um, in verses 4 through 6, I sought the Lord and he heard me, delivered me from all my fears. Now, he can deliver anyone from all kinds of things besides their emotions, their fears of the future, and he can give them peace at the moment. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried. The Lord heard him, saved him out of all his troubles. Now, verse number six is an interesting verse because although David did say the Lord saved him, provided for him a cave to be in for safety, a safe space in a way, and yet, um, is it always true that the Lord saves us from all of our troubles? Is it true that he will deliver us from all of our afflictions, verse number 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them out of them all. 
David was delivered out of his afflictions. Specifically, David was delivered from his afflictions. But in the life of a Christian and in the life of God's people, the Jews, they weren't always delivered from their afflictions. Have you heard of Hitler? Have you heard of World War II? Have you heard of persecution of Hebrews 11? And so you have to take things in its context. God can and he often does. And sometimes for his reasons, he does not step in to deliver. James was executed, but Peter was released. You have these things that make you wonder what's going on. Well, what you do want to remember is you need to trust the Lord and walk by faith and not by sight. And so he says in verse number, come down to verse number seven. After he says, the poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord, example, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. There are stories of missionaries in the bush countries of South America or in very um, primitive places where natives would attack the missionary in his hut, but then they back up because later on the missionary finds out that there is people dressed in white surrounding the hut protecting the missionary and there's things like that that happen and that could be but the angel of the Lord encampeth around about them he's around the believer he is with the believer and he protects him from danger and even from death that can happen now remember when some believers in the Old Testament were protected from burning up in a barbecue remember when some young men were trusting God they would not bow down to an idol and they were thrown into a fiery furnace and uh, they did not burn up. As a matter of fact, when they looked in the little slit of that furnace, they saw four men, not three. The angel of the Lord encamped around about them that fear him and delivered them. So that is a miraculous, miraculous God stepping in to protect those who trust in him. And then in verse number eight, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Verse number eight is a good verse because um, as we say, uh, God is good all the time, God is good. And that is true. And because he is good, David can trust him. David can believe what he says. He can face his unknown future with some confidence because he is convinced that the Lord is good. And he wants the other 600 men to understand that God is good too. Um, they're rough men, they're primitive men, they're common men. They have no college degrees, they have no high-tech skills. Uh, they're just regular farm people. They know how to work with their hands, work the ground. They know how to raise livestock. They know how to do this common man things in, in their time. And he wants them to see that the Lord is good. And blessed is the man that trusted in him. That'd be true too besides just those 600 men. If a man today would trust the Lord and uh, give the Lord a chance to prove that he is good, they would see that it is really true. Verse number nine, oh, fear the Lord, all ye saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Maybe David heard a lion roar in his cave. The lion was not in the cave, but David was in the cave. Maybe it's at the mouth of the cave, and as the sun's going down, he sees some movement in the distance, and it looks like a lion to him. Lion's pacing back and forth, and the lion is going, <sighs> whatever the lion says. The lion is not very happy because he had been hunting 
searching for some prey. Never found anything. And the lion just says, Oh man, another day and I'm hungry. Oh, I'm gonna go. And the lion hangs his head down and walks off into the bush. And uh, maybe David got inspired by that and said, Well, you know, the young lions, they need food, but they lack today. They got no food. They suffer hunger. They went home hungry today. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Maybe he's using that as a comparison or as an illustration for his, for his poetry, for his songs. And maybe that's it. I don't know. But something like that came to his head. And so he's saying that this, that lion who knows how to hunt, he is going home hungry, going home empty. However, those that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Remember Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack what I need. And so that is what he's saying. Verse 11, Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, we'll stop there, I think, because I want to emphasize David's unknown future and David's trust in this good God who knows the future. So what does it mean to us today? Well, here's what it means. Whatever the future is for our lives as Christians, as long as we walk close to the Lord and trust in Him, like Psalm, 26, uh, Psalm 262 tells us, trusting Jesus, that you can have confidence that whatever tomorrow is going to be like, you can say, I will bless the Lord at all times. Amen. And His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Amen. And so I want you to come to Matthew chapter 10, and we will end here. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 is a really good chapter because it's practical and a lot of the words are in red which means Jesus spoke these words uh, really true that the Bible should be all read better because it's the words of God but we understand what the publishers mean and the translators mean when they say the words of Christ are in red and so come down to verse number uh, Matthew chapter 10 and come down to verse number 28. Fear not them which kill the body. Well, that could be anybody who has a weapon. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. A weapon cannot kill the soul. A weapon can kill the body. Weapons do not kill people. It's the people who hold the weapons. You have an angry man with a weapon, he's dangerous. You have a man who's under control with the weapon, he's a safe man. He will protect himself and his family. But fear not, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That be the Lord. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now he is saying that God recognizes all these little creatures of his that he made. And he, they're not, sparrows are not huge compared to a vulture. You know, there's a, there's a bat, uh, what is it called, vampire bat? The wingspan is 24, 20 inches. That's a pretty big bat. Uh, a sparrow's like what, that, like that? Pretty small compared to uh, other birds, other eagles. You know that the most vicious eagle is the golden eagle? That thing will swoop around and he'll see a deer, he'll see sheep, and he will he'll attack it. If it's on a cliff, he'll attack it with his talons and he'll grab it 
not to pick it up yet. Here's just grab it and knock it off so that the, the animal falls down and tumbles down to its death. And then they're going to pick it up. Real smart. Now, this little sparrow, this little sparrow that is very tiny in relation to other birds of prey and other birds, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. Without your father seeing it fall to the ground. He is saying, because God has eyes, because God has eyes, he can see those sparrows fall to the ground. Now, think about this. He can see those sparrows falling to the ground everywhere. Every sparrow that falls to the ground. Not just where you live, but every sparrow everywhere when they fall. That's pretty amazing. Verse 30. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Hairs are small, tiny things. Bunched together, you have a head of hair. But that is to say, and Jesus is saying, that he notices the small things. Verse 31. Because of that, because he notices the small things, fear you not, therefore... Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Now you want to hang with that part where it says ye are of more value than many sparrows. He feeds the birds. He takes care of them. They live the food and so on. But he's saying, uh, look, you people, you disciples, you, you, you that, look, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, the value is the important word here. And the word more is more is an important word to describe the value. He is saying, there, is, there are some things valuable to God. Sparrows are, flowers are, but people are more valuable than those things. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. So if a million sparrows fall to the ground, he's saying, you are more valuable than many sparrows that fall to the ground. So he's saying, Timothy, you are more value to me than 100,000 sparrows. And that's how you can take that. Amen. Therefore, David is saying, predict all these verses, that whatever the future holds, I will still bless his name continually because he's a good God who would take care of me and whatever happens will be under the umbrella of God's permission. And so it's because we are more valuable than his creation. Amen. And that could be that could be uh, the, main, the main reason why David begins Psalm 34 with those three verses. Because unknown future, yet he's very sure that it's going to be okay. That's very real. Uh, David has surgery coming up on 28. Kind of unknown, but doctors are confident, but still unknown. And a lot of things besides that people face. They can face it with some confidence because the Lord does know and he sees what we need. Okay, that's a little bit about Psalm 34. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for letting us spend some time to pray tonight and some time to open the Bible. And if tonight's simple, singular thought of unknown future, yet we can trust you and we shall praise you in advance, then that's what we needed for tonight. And we pray that you help us to digest it, help us to make it a practice in our thinking. Look at our future like that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.